Uh, If you have a Bible, you can get it ready by going over to Mark chapter 4. We'll read that together in a a few moments. But, um, you know, if you were with us last week, we celebrated our five-year anniversary as a church. My good friend Chris Gaynor from the Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, came and preached, and I thought he did a great job. I offered him my job uh, on the way out, and he declined it. Um, but uh, I love Chris. I would sit under his preaching uh, every single week. That would be a, be a huge uh, blessing. But, you know, every September we tend to do this. But, you know, and when, when, you, we, when you mark anniversary dates like five years, it's always a good time to kind of sit back and ask the question, why are we doing this? Like, why are we here right now? Why are we gathered in an auditorium of a middle school? Why are we uh, uh, planting and establishing this church here in Herndon? You know, why am I investing my money into this? Why am I investing my time into this? What, What does it mean for this place to be successful? What does it mean for this church to be effective or fruitful or to do the things that God has called it to called it to do. And so those are questions that we want to ask right now. We tend to always ask those questions every September. It's a good time just to get the vision and mission of the church out in front of us and for us to be reminded of that and and re-energized in that. And so that's something that we consistently want to be able to do. But you know, I think as I was thinking about that this week, and the Lord's been doing something in my heart, as, especially as we were preaching through the Gospel of Luke. We know we spent a long time preaching through the Gospel of Luke. And the Lord was, was doing something in me. And I think what he was doing was he was crafting and kind of maneuvering me and, the vi- and helping me to see and understand the vision and the mission that he has for our church. And not just our church, not just Grace Hill, but, but the church. And whenever we talk about vision and mission, I think we need to be really careful. And the reason for that is because over the years, since the early church, the church has become an institution. And that's not a bad thing. I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But what I mean by an institution is, you know, this, this church, which is, you know, biblically speaking, is a gathering of believers who, who are committed to each other, and they follow Jesus together, they reach their neighbors together, they worship together, they become a family. So you have this church, and it's become this institution. So now we're a 501c3, nonprofit organization, right? We have a bank account. We have staff. We have payroll that we have to meet, Right? We're an org- we have a website and a logo. Right? I mean, it's, we've become an organization. We've become an institution. And again, that's not a bad thing, but here's where we need to be careful. Because now that that is a bit of who we are, what can happen is we can take the values that we use to assess a secular institution or organization, right, and to assess if that organization is successful or effective at what they do, and use the same values to assess if the church is successful and effective at what they do, right? So, you know, what's a value we might use for a secular institution? Like efficiency, 
You know, we think secular, they should be efficient. They should have good systems and processes. They should run smoothly, right? That's a good thing. And so we might say, well, the church needs to be the same, right? I expect companies to run that way, so the church should run that way. Everything should be efficient and on time, and everything should be, have good systems and run smoothly. That's not a bad thing, but that can be a metric we use. Or maybe quality and quantity of content that an institution produces, especially nowadays with social media and YouTube and podcasts and all of these things. And we can go, okay, a secular institution does a great job at producing content, so we expect a church to produce content like that, right? Because that's what a successful, well-run organization does. Or you might think of the size and scale of the platform. The bigger the platform, the bigger the reach, the more people in the room, the bigger the online numbers are, the more successful, effective, fruitful they are. So we look at a secular institution and say, man, they have scaled their platform. And then we look at churches and go, okay, well, if their platform is scaled, then the spirit of God must be with them. Maybe that's right, maybe that's not, I don't know. But we're just using the same values. Year-over-year growth, things like that. So none of these metrics that I've just listed for a secular institution, none of them are wrong, and none of them are wrong inside the church either. I mean, I think we can use metrics like that inside the church. That is completely fine. But here's where I think we need to be really careful. Like when I think of names like Bill Hybels, Mark Driscoll, Ravi Zacharias, three men that I've looked up to in the past. These are men that, if you know these names, maybe some of you don't know these names, but they were very famous Christian celebrities, leaders in the church, people that people, like, they looked at the size of their platform, looked at the content that they produced, and they said, man, they're doing something right. Something is happening here. And we go, that is success. That is effectiveness. Or we think about big institutions, right? I think of like a Hillsong. That, man, it's going through all kinds of turmoil right now. But, man, the scale of their ministry, you go, man, they're doing something right. Or the Southern Baptist Convention, our denomination, which a lot of things going on of of sexual abuse that was allowed to go on in that denomination for years. And we looked at the scale of that denomination, largest one in America, and we go, man, they're doing something right. But the problem is, actually, these folks and these institutions have failed in many ways. And what happens is it's destabilizing to our faith because we've looked at them and we've said, man, they've done something right. There's the definition of success. There's the definition of the spirit of God is on them. There is the definition of what it means to be effective for God's kingdom. But then when they fall, we go, I don't know what to do about that because I thought that they were the example. And so when we talk about mission and vision of the church, I think we have to be really, really careful, really honest, really vulnerable, and ask the question, what is our actual vision? Is it to go in that direction? Is it to score well in those secular metrics? Is that the vision? Is that the true goal? Or has God given us what his vision is, what his mission is, how he wants us to go about doing his work. 
Because here's the thing, when we use secular metrics to assess our success, is if secular metrics are how we assess if we're doing well or not, what that means is we're going to use secular means to get there. What it means is we're going to rely on our own strategies and worldly strategies to get there and not on the very things that God has told us to rely upon. And I want to be straight with you. It's not our vision at Grace Hill. That's not where we're headed. That's not the, 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 the metric we've put up on the whiteboard to say, man, if we hit that, then we've done the thing that God has called us to do. I want to cast a vision for you this morning that is this size. Right here. It's right in there. I am, this, is a, this is the size of, I have a mustard seed in my hand. I actually don't have a mustard seed in my hand, but it doesn't matter because you wouldn't be able to see it anyway, all right? <laughs> I went to the store. It was like eight bucks for mustard seeds. I was like, I'm not spending eight bucks for like one, okay? So, but I want to cast a vision that's this size. When we look in scripture, we, we, we see that God's given us a vision and he told us it is the size of a mustard seed. That th- this is what I want you to do And I'm going to take care of everything else. I'm going to scale it, expand it. I'm going to grow it in my timing, in my ways. So I want you to be faithful to is just this. So the question we're going to ask is, what is God's definition of success for his kingdom and his church? What does it mean to be faithful to do his vision, which is the size of a mustard seed? And I believe uh, the answer, we're going to be in two texts this morning, Mark chapter 4 in Luke chapter 13 uh, together. So if you have a Bible, you can open it to Mark 4. Uh, we'll start in verse 26. But, but let, me give you, let me give you some context here to set this up so you kind of understand what Jesus is doing um, in this text. Centuries before Jesus came on the scene, God rose up a people for himself the nation of Israel. And he said, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. You're going to follow my ways. I'm going to give you this amazing land. You're going to be the kingdom of God. And it's going to be, it's going to be paradise there, right? I mean, you're going to follow my ways. And I'm going to bless you. And so God raises up this people. He gives them the land. But here's what the people did. What the people did is they were supposed to be the kingdom of God, right? They looked around to all the other kingdoms, And they said, that's what a successful kingdom looks like. Just like that. That kingdom over there, man, look at that big, tall, handsome king they have. Hey, God, we want a king. And God says, you don't want a king. And they're like, no, we want a king. And God says, if you have a king, they're going to abuse their power. They're going to take your sons and send them to war. And they're going to tax you like crazy and take all your stuff. That's what the worldly kings do. And they go, we want a king. So God gave them a king. And most of their kings did that, right? They looked to the other kingdoms and they said, look at the gods that they serve. Those are really cool gods. They're false gods, but we want those gods. We don't want you, God. We want those gods. And so what happened was God's people started to look out to secular kingdoms and go, this is what the kingdom of God should be like. And so what happens is they followed after those other kingdoms, those metrics, and not the thing that God called them to do. They were disobedient to God's vision for his kingdom. Therefore, they didn't experience the fullness of God's blessing in his kingdom. 
And so God in his mercy and his grace, what he does is he says, I'm gonna send you a true king, an eternal king, a Messiah, who's gonna be the son of God and he's going to sit on the throne for all of eternity and he is going to bring in its fullness the kingdom of God and you'll experience the fullness of God's blessing. And so God's people are like, that sounds awesome. And so they started looking for this king and waiting for him. Hunting around, like, okay, when is he going to come? They did this for centuries. And eventually he showed up. They didn't realize it, though. Because, listen, the, 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 the vision of the king that they had in their head, it wasn't a baby in a manger. It wasn't a carpenter. Right? That, that's not what they were looking for. Right? I actually heard another pastor say this. I was like, that's perfect. What they were looking for was William Wallace from Braveheart. That's what they're looking for. Blue streak across his face, screaming freedom, leading them into battle to drive Rome out of their land who had occupied them. That's what they were looking for. And Jesus did not fit that expectation. So Jesus comes on the scene, but they completely missed him. And here you have the Messiah. And he's there. And so what Jesus begins to do is teach about the kingdom of God. When his ministry starts... He starts to do some teaching on the kingdom of God. And that's where we are in Mark chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, Mark chapter 4, I'll start in verse 26. Look at what Jesus says. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Stop there for, for just a second. So when Jesus is describing the kingdom of God, right, he's describing seed being spread across the ground. It's almost uneventful. Think about it. When you spread seed across your field and then step back and look at it, you don't see anything. It's as if nothing has happened, right? And the vision that God's people, Israel, had for the kingdom of God, again, right? William Wallace leading them into battle. So these just were not compatible visions of the kingdom, okay? So keep going in our text, verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And so, Jesus, he's continuing with this imagery of the kingdom of God is like a seed. But he's saying it's not any seed. It's actually the smallest of all the seeds. It's the least likely of all the seeds out there to be the one that I could be comparing it to. That's the thing that the kingdom of God is like. What he's saying is the kingdom of God, when it begins... It's unexpected, 
And he's comparing it to the most unlikely thing that you could ever imagine it be like. It's so small, you can't even see it when it begins to start. But then Jesus says, but what happens is, God is the one, when it's scattered, God is the one who's gonna cause it to to take root and to start to grow the shoots and to expand into a tree where the birds of the air can come and nest on it. God, Jesus is basically saying the kingdom of God doesn't expand and it doesn't scale like worldly kingdoms scale and expand. It's not something man can make happen. And it's not something that we can sit back and watch and just see it happen before our eyes. Right? Have you ever planted a seed and stared at it till it grew? No, you haven't right? Because we don't have that much patience. It's almost uneventful. And so as a church, we say this all the time at Grace Hill, as a church, we are a representation of God's kingdom. We are an expression of the people of God, right? You you could call individual local churches embassies of the kingdom of God, Places that are planted and the people of that embassy are citizens of God's kingdom and therefore represent. They are, for uh, 2 Corinthians 5, right? Ambassadors of Christ who represent the kingdom of God to the world around us. That is the very thing that we've been called in scripture. And so the reality is this. We are not called to operate this thing like secular organizations and institutions operate. We are not called to gauge success of this thing like secular organizations do. No, we are called to be faithful to just putting the mustard seed down and then watching the Spirit of God grow, expand, scale it in his timing and in his ways. That's exactly what Scripture's saying. That's the vision that God has given the church You are to be faithful to this because this is how the kingdom of God starts. This is how the kingdom of God starts in Herndon, Virginia. And God is gonna do the rest. It's exactly what it's saying. God has called us to be faithful to this and we trust him to do what he's gonna do with it in his time and in his Ways. And so the question that we need to answer moving forward is, what does it look like to be faithful to this? What does that mean? And I think the answer to that is found in Luke chapter 13. So if you go to your, uh, hang a right in your Bible to the chap- uh, Gospel of Luke chapter 13. I'm gonna read verses 10 to 19. says, now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight. And she glorified God. 
But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. It's like, man, did you hear yourself? Then the Lord answered him. I love that in verse 15. Take note in the Gospel of Luke. Then the Lord answered him. You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, verse 18, in your Bible, it's going to put a heading over verse 18, new chapter, new, or not new chapter, new paragraph, and you're going to think this is separate. It's not separate. He said, therefore. So it's connected to what just happened in the synagogue. Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Why does Jesus, right after this moment in the synagogue, start again to teach about the kingdom of God being like a mustard seed? What I think is going on here is I think that Jesus is saying what just happened in this synagogue is an example of what I mean to be faithful to just doing this. What he just did in the synagogue, this is an example of what it means to be faithful to sow just a little mustard seed and let God do the rest of the work. There's one thing I want you to see in this text, just one thing only. There's lots. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture, Luke 13. But there's one thing only I want you to see in this as far as our vision for Grace Hill this morning, and that is this, that one of the ways... It, it means to be faithful to just the mustard seed. One of the ways that a church would live this out, one of the ways that this becomes a part of our vision and mission is this, that in a church that is faithful to God's vision, insignificant people are significant. That's what I want you to see in the text. Insignificant people are significant in churches and expressions of God's kingdom that are being faithful to his mission. If you go to the text, what do we see in Luke chapter 13? We see this lady walk in, and she was an afterthought. 18 years she had been disabled. And the only person in the room who sees her, has compassion on her, calls upon her, puts the attention of the room, attunes the attention of the room on her. The only person who does that is the Messiah. The king of kings and the Lord of lords, the most insignificant person in the room by the world standards, walks in and his attention is locked in on her and nothing else. When Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a little mustard seed, what he's saying is, I, I came for insignificant people. 
I came to give my life. I came to redeem. I came to heal people that the entire world would look upon and, and ignore. I mean, look at Jesus' pattern when he's on this planet, the people that he ministers to, the people that get his attention. Look at his ministry strategy. He gathers 12 guys, and he spends all of his time with 12. It's just a mustard seed. And these weren't important guys. They weren't religious rulers. They weren't governmental rulers. They weren't the richest guys of the days. They weren't the movers and shakers who had the connections and the networks to launch a global movement. No, they were fishermen. Like you got Peter, who's a hothead, right? And then they took Matthew, the tax collector, and he, and he took these guys that, man, they were insignificant. They were afterthoughts. That was his ministry strategy to start a global movement. Twelve guys. Mustard seed. Because to Jesus, insignificant people are significant. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that our creator loves us individually, cares about us individually, wants to put his spirit inside of us individually, sent his son Jesus to die for us personally on the cross to redeem us and to heal us. You, He came to die for you, one person at a time, changing hearts. It's just a mustard seed. And if we're gauging our success by secular standards, then insignificant people just get in the way. If we're gauging our success by secular standards, difficult people, hurting people, people with a lot of needs, They slow us down, but that's not the way the kingdom of God works. It's actually completely flipped. The way the kingdom of God works is those are the exact people that Jesus moves towards, and he says, you are the people that I'm going to use to start a movement. You are gonna be the people that I'm gonna use to get my message of the gospel to all nations. Because God's kingdom is like a mustard seed one heart at a time, and God will oversee the growth and the expansion. My guess is in this room right now, most of you, if not all, feel insignificant. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever questions you have about the faith, whatever's going on with you, my guess is most people here, if not all, feel insignificant. If I had a quarter for every single time as a pastor, someone talked to me about something and they caveated it with something like, I, I, listen, I know you're dealing with people who have like way bigger problems than me. And they apologize for wanting to talk. My guess is most people here feel insignificant. You don't see what is going on with you or inside of you as worth anyone's time in this room. And see, the mission that we believe that God has given us at Great Soul Church is this. This is how we've written it down. To be a diverse community that follows Jesus, loves people, and is safe to be known. This is our way of saying we want to do church and we want to do ministry in the ways that Jesus told us to and we want to gauge success in the ways that we are shown in scripture. 
We want to be faithful to love people in the way that God has commanded us to and let God be the one to oversee the scale and the growth. Because at Grace Hill Church, I just want you to know, and we believe this, you matter. Like what you are going through matters. Your story matters. I I don't care how juicy it is. I don't care how boring it is. I don't care if you have the story that's like, I was this way and God saved me and now I'm completely different or whatever. Your story matters to people in this room. Your fears and anxieties and the things that keep you up at night, but you don't share with others, those matter. And they're worth our time to minister to you in the midst of them. Your depression that you struggle with, that keeps you low, but you put the smile on your face so no one will know, that matters to us. Things that you're going through, the things that have happened to you, and you just don't want to bother anybody with it. That matters to your church family. The questions that you have about faith, the doubts that are in your heart, the wonderings if you really believe in this man named Jesus. That matters. It's not something that you have to hide. It's not something that you have to be ashamed of. It's not something that you have to keep away from your church family because what will people think? No, we wanna press into that with you. Minister with you in it. It matters. It's not insignificant. Listen, as a church, our aim isn't to move so fast that we miss you. Our aim isn't to expand and grow and and do these big grandiose things that we miss you in ministering to you. At Grace Hill, our neighbors matter. And the vulnerable families that we have the privilege to serve, they matter. And the poor matters. And the immigrants who are in our community who are fresh here and they don't speak English and there's a lot of people who don't like the fact that they're here, they matter to us. And when you get into the ministry of caring for vulnerable people and the poor, it's not a quick moving ministry. It's not efficient. It's, it's like spreading seed, but it matters to us. We, we wanna be a church that slows down to care for one another and slows down to care for our neighbors and display the gospel to them. We don't wanna move so fast and have such grandiose plans that we miss it. And you stay in the shadows. Because Jesus didn't call us to think about scale. Go read your Bible. Where did Jesus call us to scale? I don't see it. He called us to be faithful to the vision that is just the size of a mustard seed. And so here at Grace Hill, two quick things on how we try to do this that I just want to point you to and encourage you to. I already told you the first one is our community groups. In our community groups, this is the place where we believe you need to be so that you can be known and that you can know others. That's why over the fall and spring in our community groups, we're gonna be focusing on sharing our stories with one another and ministering to one another in the midst of our stories because your story does matter. And when you have the courage to share your story, you're gonna give courage to someone else to share theirs. And then we're gonna be able to minister to each other in the midst of it. We wanna move so fast that we miss it. 
And the other thing that I wanna point you to is our gap ministry that runs through our community groups where we have been given the privilege to serve six or seven vulnerable families in our community and we're gonna keep receiving more. We've received a bunch and we have the ability to build relationships with these families to provide for some of their physical needs and the county is feeding them to us and saying, please help us care for these people. And they matter to us. And if you've been involved in the gap ministry, it is not efficient. There's a lot of questions. Some of the relationships are messy. But efficiency and everything looking clean and nice and perfect systems and uh, our vision being the explosive growth and we serve 18 million families, that's not it. Because every one of those families matter to us. And we just see it as spreading mustard seed saying, God, what will you do with this? We just wanna be faithful. So I encourage you, as we press into the fall together as a church, get involved in a community group. It's worth your time. It's worth the hassle. I know sometimes with kiddos it can be hard. But it's worth being known and knowing others. It's the primary way that we care for each other here at Grace Hill. And you need that kind of care. And I encourage you to dig into our gap ministry Let's care deeply for our vulnerable neighbors here in Herndon. And we have such an opportunity to do it. Let's just be faithful to the mustard seed. And let's see what God will do to it. Let me pray for us. God, it is such a, um, it's such a uh, comfort to me as one of the leaders here to know that in your word you have said, hey, be faithful to this and I've got the rest. I'm so grateful, God, that you have the rest. That, that, that God, I'm so grateful that you haven't given me as a preacher or any of us in this room as followers of Jesus the power to save people. But, but no, that's your power, God, and you've just told us to share the message. I'm so grateful, God, that you haven't given us the power to do any of this work that, that you have said, I'm gonna take care of it. I just want you to be my vessel. I just want you to be faithful to this work. God, that's so comforting to me because Lord, I know that we can do this. I know that we can be faithful to the mustard seed. I know that we can love and care for one another, be committed to one another and minister to one another the word of God. And I know that we can go love our neighbors well and pray for them and speak of the hope that is in us and sit back and watch you do the work that only you can do. So Lord, I pray that here at Grace Hill, over the fall, as we press into another year of ministry, God, that you would make this place a place that is safe to be known. And that as a result of that, we would grow deeply in our trust of you and our love of the word of God and our care for one another. I pray that it would be made true of Grace Hill that people would see our love for one another and know that we are followers of you. And God, I pray you bless our efforts in the gap ministry and caring for our neighbors. God, I know that through the efforts that you allow us to do, you are allowing these seeds to sprout. And Lord, we are going to rejoice when we get to see the fruit of that one day. And we trust, Lord, that you are doing something in the midst of how we're caring for our neighbors. Pray you bless the ministry of this church. May it glorify you.
may it be faithful to the things that you have called it to do. In Christ's name, amen.